In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. We began our meditation, as we always do, Lord, with that act of a presence of God, that act of faith in your presence. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here. And this is something we can repeat and try to do slowly and deeply as we begin this meditation, as we begin this time of intimacy with our Lord. Lord, I believe in your presence. Lord, help me enter into your presence so I can spend this time with you, so I can learn how to love you more, so that I can put things in your hands, all of my problems, all of my worries, so that I can see, Lord, where you want me to improve, what things you want me to change or face in my life, with your help, of course, with your grace. Lord God, in the Old Testament, you often speak of your relationship with the people Israel as a kind of mutual possession or a mutual belonging. You say, I will be their God and they shall be my people. I will be their God. And in a way, this is mysterious that God is already God. God has always been God, as we pray as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. That doxology, that prayer of praise to God, praising precisely His eternity and His immutability. God has always been God. God cannot be anything else but God. And yet, God says, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And so the idea here, I think, is that to be their God personally, to belong to them, and for them to belong to Him, takes some work. It takes specifically the work of rooting out idols, of, of avoiding false gods, of a certain cleansing of their religion, a cleansing of their worship, a cleansing, therefore, of their love, so that God can be truly their God. This is how it's put in the in the book of the prophet Ezekiel. It's a very suggestive passage. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be cleaned from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. A new heart I will give you and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and make you follow my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. Then you shall live in the land that I gave to your ancestors and you shall be my people and I will be your God. And so we see here, Lord, that the payoff, you shall be my people, and I will be your God, 
comes as a result of a lot of work. I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And then receiving this new heart from God, and a new spirit from God. And so before we can have God as our God, we need this purification, we need this cleansing. And a part of it is this cleansing from idols, this cleansing of our soul from from false gods. It's kind of like a spiritual detox, right? Many times in the health and fitness industry, people pedal and go through different types of detoxification by eating only a certain thing for a while or drinking only water for a few days or or some other rigorous um, dieting plan. The promise is that this will detoxify you, right? This will take all the toxins out of your body and you'll feel like new after this after this week or after this two weeks or whatever, after this detox. Well, our Lord wants to do something similar with our soul. He wants to cleanse it from idols, from false gods. And this is so important. This is, it's, it's no accident that the first commandment, the very first commandment of the Ten Commandments says, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no false gods before me. A false god, of course, is an idol. An idol, of course, is something created, something finite, some creature or something that we have made with our hands or with our imagination that has replaced God in our heart and in our life. It's replacing God with a creature. It's not an accident that the first commandment says, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no false gods before me. It's first because it's important. It's not an accident either, Lord, that when you're asked about the greatest commandment in the law, you respond with the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And so that Shema, Lord loving you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my might, means that everything else comes way back in second place, second, third, fourth, fifth place. That you come first, that you alone are God. And the idea that we need to be cleansed from our idols means that false gods, things that we put too much emphasis on, things that kind of rob God of his place in our soul, false idols defile our soul. They they stain our soul somehow. They make it less worthy of, of... God's presence, less worthy of the grandeur that God wants our souls and our lives to have. We're defiled by our idols. The great New Testament scholar N.T. Wright, who was an uh, Anglican bishop, says that we become what we worship. And I think it's a, it's a fascinating idea. Actually, it's, it's also in, in the early Christian philosopher Boethius. The idea that the highest good in your life is something that your soul kind of configures to, right? That you that you kind of take on the character and the qualities of what you worship. Here's N.T. Wright. He says, You become like what you worship, 
When you gaze in awe, admiration, and wonder at something or someone, you begin to take on something of the character of the object of your worship. And so this means that if we, if we are made in the image of God, and we're made to find our glory in worshiping God and loving God, then when we do that, when we, when we truly have God as our God, as the highest, most important thing in my life, then our nature is elevated. We become divinized. We become like God. But if we, but if we don't, if we put, if we put our, our highest value in something else that's not God, well, then we're going to be degraded as human beings, right? As, as human beings made in the image likeness of God, made for communion with God. Worship of God protects our humanity. It protects our dignity as humans. And worship of anything else will be a degradation, will be a defilement of that image of God in us. It's kind of like people say that, you know, dog owners start to look like their dogs <laughs> or that the dogs start to look and act like their owners. I don't know how much that's true or not, but, but I suppose it's a similar idea. No matter how relatively high the idol is, if it's not God, it's still an idol and it defiles us. Without the creator, the creature disappears. That's the way the Second Vatican Council puts it. Without the creator, the creature disappears. And this is especially true of us, the children of God. And we see this today, Lord, and we ask you to help us to let you back into the world. Help us to put you back in first place. And I can only do that right now for myself and, and encourage those who are closest to me. But the world obvious, obviously needs this. We look around and we see so much dehumanization. We see so much defilement, Lord, of your image. We see so much lack of respect for the dignity of the human person. We see it in violence. We see it in exploitation. We see it in human trafficking. We see it in, in culture and in fashion. We see it in the lack of respect that people have for each other's rights and opinions. We see that, Lord, because we've left you, because we're not worshiping you, we're becoming degraded and defiled in our humanity. And the only answer is to worship, is to adore God, is to lift up our hearts. As the Mass tells us, lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. And to lift our hearts up to the Lord is to aspire to something higher than us, better than us, more beautiful than us. And when we aspire to that, to you, Lord, we become deified. We become, we become what we're supposed to be in your eyes, made in your image and likeness, sons and daughters of God. And so practically speaking, Lord, how can I do this? How can I find out if I have some idols in my life, if I have some idols in my soul? How can I find out, Lord, what competes for first place in my heart? Is there a competitor, Lord, in my life to you? So you're having first place. One priest said, well, if you want to find out what your idols are, think about what distracts you in your prayer. 
and that's a great way of thinking about it, right? When I try to when I try to think about God, when I try to put my attention on God, when I try to focus on Him in silence and 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 for a prolonged period of time, what keeps me from praying? What's worrying me? What's making me lose my peace? And if we scratch a little bit, we'll see that there's some idol there, that there's something that I'm giving too much importance to, something I'm loving too much, something I care about too much. And the older we are, the more we realize this is something that's probably deeply, deeply rooted in me. Something that I've, I've cared too much about for a long time. And it might take some work to have that cleansing, to have that detox. St. Thomas Aquinas says that fear is born of love. Fear is born of love. What does that mean? It means our fears are kind of like the flip side of our loves, or the order of fear follows upon the order of love. And so what do I fear? I fear losing what I love. I fear losing or not, not getting what I want. I fear the threat to the things I find good in my life, the things that I value. And so our idols will be the things that that we think we can't do without, perhaps our work, perhaps our health, our reputation, a good mood, rest, friends, family, whatever. The thing we fear losing the most will, will, if it's disordered, will be the idol, will be the thing that's competing with God. Why? Because we love them the most, because we put them at first place. And if we were convinced, Lord, that you were the one thing necessary, if we truly tried to follow that, that great command to love you with all of our mind, all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, well, then we would fear only one thing. We would fear sin alone. The greatest fear, at least, that we would have would be the fear of sin, the fear of losing God. Thinking about this topic, I thought it would be a cool thing to have like an idol detector, right? People have metal detectors and you see them combing the beach or their backyard trying to find um, buried treasure or perhaps their wedding ring that they lost or whatever. And they have that metal detector and they're, and they're scanning the ground and then it starts to beep to indicate that some metal has been, has been found. And there's lie detector tests, right, where they hook someone up to the machine and then they ask them questions and, and supposedly, right, the, um, the machine can tell by their, <laughs> by their biological data whether they're lying or not. And so I thought it would be a really cool thing if there was an idle detector, right, there's something we can kind of run over our soul, so to speak, and find out. You know, are there any idols here? Something that would start beeping when it found a competitor in our soul for God. Something that we, we give too much importance to. So I did what everyone does these days. I googled it. I googled idol detector. And sure enough, I found, <laughs> I found something. And I didn't find a machine. That would have been really cool to find a machine. But I found a kind of an examination of conscience that's from a book. A book called Gospel written by a, um, a Protestant writer, Christian writer. And he's got a nice, he's got a nice series of questions 
for people to consider to see, well, what are your idols? What one thing do you most hope is in your future? Career success, a certain salary, owning your own home, getting married, seeing your kids grow up to be successful, having the respect of your teammates, going pro, being loved and respected by your colleagues. What is it that without it, life would hardly seem worth living? Right. So for all these questions, it's not that these things aren't important, aren't good to hope for, aren't good, aren't good to value. They are good things, and they should be hoped for, and, and, and we should go after them. The point, is, the point is that if the first answer is not love of God, or to be holier, or to do God's will, or to be pleasing to God, or to love God more, well, then, then there's something wrong, right? Um, then we have, practically speaking, we haven't put God in first place. Another question, what is the one thing you most worry about losing? What one thing could you absolutely not get along without? Your family, your job, the love of your spouse, the respect of your kids. If you could change one thing about yourself right now, what would it be? Would you lose 30 pounds? Would you change your looks, your marital status, your job, your zip code? Would you have your kids come home? There's nothing wrong with desiring to change our lives, but when we couldn't imagine being happy unless something changes, we have an idol. This next one I think is a wonderful question. What thing have you sacrificed the most for? Sacrifice and worship almost always go hand in hand. What have you worked the hardest for? To get the scholarship? To obtain a more perfect body? To land the job? To be the best in your field? To get to a certain income level? What you prize is shown by what you pursue the hardest. Our Lord says something similar. Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Who is there in your life that you feel like you can't forgive and why? When we cannot forgive someone, it is usually because they took something from us that we depended on for life, happiness, and security. And no one could take God from us. No one could take God from us except ourselves, except our sin. And so everyone can be forgiven. When do you feel the most significant? When do you hold your head up the highest? What is there that you hope people find out about you? Do you constantly mention your job or the job you think you're going to have? Are you always looking for ways to show off your house or your car? Your identity is whatever makes you feel the most significant. What makes you feel the most significant is what you put the most weight upon or the most value upon. In these days of Identity politics and so much talk about identity, identifying ourselves with some group or other. Where's my identity come from, Lord? Who am I? How do I identify myself? A son of God, a Christian, follower of Jesus Christ, called to be a saint. What triggers depression in you? That your kids never call? 
the fact that your marriage doesn't look like it's ever going to get better, when you don't get the recognition you deserve, is it how little you've accomplished? Depression is triggered many times when something we deemed essential for life and happiness is denied to us. Where do you turn for comfort when things are not going well? Maybe you bury yourself in your work to numb the fact that your wife ignores you and your kids are drifting away from you. Some sensual pleasure, perhaps alcohol or drugs. So all these are questions that if, if we truly worshipped God as God, if God was our God, the most important thing in my life, they're questions that God would be the answer to, that the only thing that, that, that should make us sad is that we lose Him. Obviously, there are things that, I mean, again, right? Obviously, there are things that will, that will make us sad, that will make us sorrowful. But it shouldn't be a sorrow that overwhelms us. It shouldn't be a sorrow that crushes us. Because in the end, we have God and we trust in His love. St. Augustine said that things like worry, fear, sadness, and deep depression are smoke from the fires rising from the altars of our idolatry. Follow the trail of that smoke and you'll see where you have substituted something for God. Smoke from the fires rising from the altars of our idolatry. And so this detachment from idols, this cleansing of our soul, this detox that we all need, is the flip side of a positive effort to grow in having God as God, putting God in first place. And so, Lord, reveal to me my attachments. Reveal to me my idols so that I can, so that I can rearrange my soul, so that I can rearrange my priorities, so that I can give less importance to the things that deserve less, less importance and more importance to you. Psalm 46 famously says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Lord, what a wonderful formula for my prayer. An agenda for my prayer. Be still. Park your idols. Park the worries and fears they occasion. Park all causes of your lack of peace. Be still. Put those things aside. Then reconsider this great truth. I am God. Be still and then know that I am God. I am God. I exist. I am in charge. I am the highest good. I am all goodness. I only want what's good for you. Lord, teach me the gift and the skill of silence in prayer. Silence, St. Maria said, is the doorkeeper to the interior life. In this time of, of noise, of digital noise, of external and internal noise, we might, we might tend to be overactive in our prayer. We might plan too much. We might fret too much. We, we fidget. And I think at times it's better, to, it's better to run the risk of falling asleep in our prayer. It's better to be peaceful and fall asleep in my prayer than to be so nervous and so agitated and so restless that I, that I, 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 can't, I can't focus. 
better to be peaceful in God's presence and fall asleep than to have my prayer be a, a total freakout session. Be still and know that I am God. And we can switch that around. Know that I am God and be still. I am God. I am here. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here. God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, is always present to us. Know that I am God and be still. I exist. I am in charge. I am the highest good. I am all goodness. I only want what's good for you. And we should address him in this way. You are God. You exist. You are in charge of my life. You are the highest good. I want you to be my God, to be my highest good. I want you to be all goodness for me, such that I don't need anything else to be the one thing necessary for me. This is the true perspective we need. This is the perspective that Jesus wants us to have. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your mind. And if this is the true perspective and the true attitude we need, Lord, why should I practice anything else until, until I improve in this, until I get better at this? Why should I ask for anything else from God before He gives me this, before He gives me the one thing necessary, loving Him above everything else, having Him as my God? Do I ask for this? Lord, do I ask to be better at prayer? Do I ask to be better in faith and, and in charity, in my trust in you, my love for you. Our Lord himself says it so clearly in the Gospel of Matthew, no one can serve two masters for a slave will either hate the one and love the other or, de or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. No one can serve two masters. We can't have two gods. It will either be him or it will be something else. And perhaps, Lord, this is the cause of the great restlessness in my life, the great anxiety in my life, that I, that I haven't learned really how to put you first. Teach me to do that, Lord. St. Augustine, of course, says it right, so clearly that our hearts are restless until they rest in you. You have made us for yourself, O Lord. And our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And so our Lord doesn't let us be peaceful. He doesn't let us be satisfied. He doesn't let us rest. He keeps us restless because he knows that, that only he can be truly our God. Only he can be truly our highest good. Only he can satisfy us. This is the way he made us. You've made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And so where do I start? Where do I start? Well, perhaps with prayer, right? Adoration. Adoration is the opposite of idolatry. To make acts of adoration. To recognize and say, God, you're the, you're the creator of the universe. I bow down to you. You're the infinite being, the infinite good. I worship you. Make an explicit act of adoration. I adore you in the Blessed Sacrament. I adore you in heaven. 
I adore you as creator of the universe. I adore you in my soul. We go to Our Lady. Our Lady who loves God more than anyone else besides God. Right? The only people who love God more than Our Lady are the prisons of the Blessed Trinity who love each other with an infinite love. After them, in the Hall of Fame of Love of God comes Our Lady, our Blessed Mother. And so we ask her, right? Mothers love, mothers are kind of obsessed at times with the, with the uh, cleanliness of, of, of their children. Did you wash behind the ears? Do you have clean socks on? <laughs> right? And so Our Lady looks at her soul and, and in her love for God, she wants that soul to be as clean as possible, which means as capable as possible of worshiping him, putting him in first place. And so we go to her and we say, help us to cleanse ourselves from our idols. Help us to do that examination of conscience, to find our idols, to uproot those fears and anxieties which are based in an exaggerated love for the things of this world so that we can put God in first place. And when God is in first place, then everything else has a chance of falling into line. When we love God above all things, we love everything else as we should. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.